My daddy may now make an announcement. Well, I just found my credit card. I, lo- I had lost my credit card. And of course, 10 seconds ago, I found it. And the fact that I lost, and I, when I say lost, I didn't really lose it. I misplaced it. Now, whenever you, does your spouse do, oh, let me write a note to self. Um, what was it? Oh, telling, hold on. Telling things, again, because I got to ask you some marital, you know, whatever. I just found my credit card. Now, does your does your spouse, loved one, mother, father do this to you when you they like you say you're looking for something? You're looking. You're searching around your house, your apartment, your locker, whatever it is, and and then they say, "What are you doing?" And you say, "Well, I can't find my blank, my credit card, my keys, my uh, passport, my extradition papers, whatever it is." You say, "I, I, I can't." You know, in my case recently, I say, "Uh." I can't find my uh, credit card. Now, does your mother, father, significant other, boyfriend, girlfriend, pet, whatever, say to you, oh, you lost your credit card? No, I didn't say I lost it. I did not say I lost it. I, I can't find it. See, to me, that is not, that is, right? I currently have the inability to locate this particular item. Saying that something is lost is admitting defeat, my friend, and, I, and I'm not admitting that. Especially not as I'm frantically running around the house. If I'm still frantically running around the house, it's not lost. It's only misplaced. It's when I then sit down on the sofa and start to grind my teeth about having to call the credit card company and getting in touch with all the online services that I pay automatically and all that this that gets paid automatically off. That's when it's lost. But if I'm still frantically running around the apartment, it's only misplaced. I just don't know where it is right this second. But I search my pants, and I only really have about two pairs of pants. I have two pairs of pants, and I have my dresser, I have my desk, I have the car, right? But you got the inside of the car, under the seats, under the floor mats, the passenger side, in the little compartment, on the door, in the door. Can't find it. And I check what I thought was all my jackets. Now, I didn't realize, but I do have a lot of jackets. I've got the one that I wear a lot now which is kind of like a track jacket. And I don't wear that when I record because it's it makes sound. See, when you record these uh, little, uh, you know, experiments in psychological uh, erping, you can't wear a noise. Like I have to, this is very quiet. I'm wearing a quiet jacket. Listen, see, nice and quiet. I'm waving my arm. You don't even know. My other jacket's like my little, uh, you know, Soccer dad jacket makes too much sound, but it, but it, the credit card wasn't in there either pocket. It wasn't in my colder weather coat that I got last September. No, it's not in that. My kind of like rubber winter jacket, not in there. Not in the kind of like corduroy with fleece inside coat that I sometimes wear to barbecue, not in there. It wasn't even in the track jacket that I don't seem to wear anymore that's in my closet now. It wasn't in there. Well, then... Well, I thought I had exhausted all the possibilities. I call American Express. It was an Amex card. And of course, they're very accommodating. They don't care. They ship me out one right away. I got it yesterday. It's already here. And of course, of course, it's already here. So then I put on my quiet coat to come out here and, oh, what's in the pocket? Mm. The jacket that I actually was wearing when I went to Pollo Loco last week and went to the drive-thru and paid with a credit card because that was the last time I used it because I was too busy all the other times because it was Halloween. When I was doing uh, stand-up, I had this kind of stock routine about Halloween. And I loved it so much that I honestly would not even wait for Halloween time to do it. I would just somehow manage a way in the middle of the summer to bring up Halloween because that's what comedians do. 
every comedian has just broken up with a girl. Every comedian has just taken a flight. Every comedian, right? Well, this comedian would always have, for whatever reason, some lame uh, reason to bring up Halloween. And I don't know why I'm so defensive of Halloween. I really don't. Uh, Except that I do enjoy it. It's the one time that, you know, uh, that you get to dress up sometimes. Now, as an adult, you know, I don't really dress up that much. And I haven't in a while. The last, other than this Halloween, and we'll get to that in a moment, but the the last time that I wore a costume, uh, I think it was even before T was born, and Hudson was still very young. I think he was really only three or four years old. And in those days, he was very, 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 very into animals. And we would go to the zoo all the time. And we'd go to the toy store all the time. I've told you this before. We'd go to the toy store. We'd go to FIO Schwartz in their gigantic stuffed animal department. And he would school the employees on what all the animals actually were. Because they'd say, oh, look, little boy, you want to see the leopard? He's like, that's a jaguar. That's the leopard, jackass. Check. Do you see this difference in the spots? Except he wouldn't say it like that. He'd say it like a very cute little three or four-year-old boy. My God, my son is just crushing me with cuteness. But so one year I was going to take him around. And um, I said, well, buddy, what are you going to dress up? And I think he dressed up as a lion or something. He was a very cute lion a couple years in a row. When he was really little. He's macho now and there's no more lion, right? That's over. But he was an incredibly cute, sweet, big-eyed lion boy. And he and I said, listen, lion boy, I'll dress up if you want when we go around. But you tell me what you want me to dress as. And he says, Dad, I want you to dress as a, a zookeeper ghost. which I, you know, w- w- what's what's a zookeeper ghost? And he said, well, dad, it's a zookeeper. That's a ghost. Okay. So I get on, I you know, I fashioned some kind of zookeeper outfit out of, uh, I guess I had, you know, khakis. And I actually, at that point, and I don't have it anymore, but I had a shirt that was kind of that color, kind of a tannish shirt. So I put that on and I tucked it into the slacks. Because you know me, I just love wearing slacks. Just give me a pair of khakis and tuck me in and I'm just ready to go down to the golf course and have a couple cocktails on the back nine. But I've got my, so I've got my, my tan shirt tucked into my khakis and I've got some boots on, you know. And uh, some sort of, I don't even remember what hat I wore. Maybe we wore, maybe I wore this old hat that my dad had brought back for me from Africa in like 19, you know, 70. And for whatever reason, my dad, he'd been to Africa on a business and he brought back these two African hats, like zookeeper hats, but from Africa, like not African hats, but you know, like souvenir hats. And I never got rid of mine and he always kept his. And then my son ended up with my 1970 Africa zoo hat. So I went around the neighborhood with my khakis on and my tan shirt and my Africa 1970 child size hat on and white paint on my face. You know, clown makeup, white, just white. And every house we'd go to, they would say, oh my gosh, look, you're so cute. You're a lion. Oh my gosh, we growl for me. And he'd growl and they'd be like, ah, and they'd giggle because he's so cute with the big face and the big eyes and he's so cute and he's four or five. He's four years old and he's a lion and he's so cute. And what are you supposed to be? I'm a zookeeper uh, ghost, a, zoo, a zookeeper ghost. Mm-hmm. Well, it was his, it was his idea. The lion, it was Lion Boy's idea. Oh, Lion Boy, you're so cute. Happy Halloween. And so it went. And somehow I, I ended up getting out of dressing up. I'm pretty sure every year since then. Not sure how, but, but I did. And as a, you know, as the kids have grown up, my kids are really, I mean, they, they like to trick-or-treat, but they, maybe it's because we've sheltered them from it a little bit. They aren't hardcore trick-or-treat. We got to hit every house you will allow us to hit and amass as much candy as you will, right? 
because they don't they don't eat that much candy. We don't let them eat that much candy. It's not right. It doesn't become this currency in the home. You know what I mean? Like we just don't need that. We don't need this big kind of uh, barter thing going on. This underground currency, like they're in prison swapping smokes. You know what I mean? Please. But Hudson this year, of course, you know, set up his annual sound effects experience where we string, you know, speakers outside in our little kind of porch roof area thingy there. And he watches from the dining room. And as the kids come up, he kind of, you know, he profiles them. And depending on their age and how resistant or not so, they might be to scary sounds. He wails on them. And little kids get a little hoo-hoo, little thunder, maybe crickets, you know, maybe a creaking door. And then the middle schooler is really, he just like, he's the phantom of the opera. He just lays hands on the keyboard and just like, chong, and there's screaming and howling and wolves and murder and hell and everything. There's one sound effect that he has that it sounds like a man is being held by his legs and swung around in a circle. While he screams, it's just like, ah, 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 it's awesome. But this year, so every year, this is what happens. Now my kids go to this school. They go to this, you know, lovely school that we love very much. And every year there's a Halloween carnival. And every year it's very hot at the Halloween carnival. And every year we get very hot at the Halloween carnival, but that's just the way it goes. And there's games and fun and a little tiny bit of food and uh, this and that. And all the kids get dressed up and they go and they do their little parade in a big circle there on the uh, $100,000 AstroTurf. And, um, you know, they make a big announcements on their PA system and whatever. The head of the school, you know, calls everyone out and they go around and uh, eventually we get to leave. And then this year, and I'm circling back around to where we began. Trust me. This year, um, and I think it was Hudson that came home and said, this year, Dad, uh, Mom and Dad, they've changed the name of the Halloween Carnival. It's now the Harvest Festival. To which, of course, my wife and I go, why is it no longer a carnival or is it no longer for Halloween? To which my son replies, well, I think now keep in mind, he's getting this information. I think third hand from fellow 10 year olds. Okay. Grain of salt in place. Here we go. Well, such and such told me that I guess some religious fanatics complained that, uh, they think Halloween is devil worship or something. So <laughs> because because I'm sure this this is not the case, and yet I'm sure that there is an element of truth to it. That someone has gone to someone, and someone has said, "Well, you know, Halloween, blah, blah, evil spirits, and blah blah, and it come from the pagans, and blah blah, blah who knows what, and blah, blah blah, All Saints Day, blah blah." And now the Halloween carnival is now the harvest. Fe- we live in L.A. Nothing is being harvested. Okay we're not, this is not a celebration of any harvest, they're, right? They're agents, they're, right, sports, right? It's This has nothing to do with corn and pumpkins, really, except for carving them into jack-o'-lanterns, and that's for Halloween! And it's just, uh, you know, so I say to Hudson now, well, kid, um, does that mean you're still dressing up and you're st- are you having the dressing up part or the parade part or are we just harvest festivaling what are, what are we doing no 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 we're still dressing up we're still dressing up yep even though it's not a halloween carnival that's right we're still dressing up yes you're dressing up now is there going to still be a haunted house well yeah well what's that for the harvest uh no dad sounds to me like halloween uh-huh except it's not it's not a haunted house it's a haunted lunchroom oh It's a haunted lunchroom because they didn't want to put the haunted house in the big room anymore because it's always so hot. Oh, good. They're finally thinking. Finally, after you being there for five years, they're actually going to make room for the people to stand around under the roof with a beating sun because everyone's wearing black costumes and wool 
in wigs and hats. So finally, now we can go in the big multi-purpose room and the haunted part is going to be upstairs in some lunchroom. Thank God. Isn't that kind of a Halloween thing to do? Yes, it is. So Hudson and I did a little research. Now, Halloween is, uh, you know, if I have this right, and I'm not exactly Wikipedia, my my colleague, but it, 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 Halloween, Halloween comes, from what I understand, from Ireland. And it is part of a harvest festival, in a way. It's celebrating the end of summer. Yeah, you got to get your stuff together for winter, because guess what? Nothing's going to grow, right? And um, then, then there is part of it that is that does originate in pagan religious spiritual celebrations. Now, the pagans, God forbid, excuse my choice there. I shouldn't have said God forbid. Multi multi gods forbid. Several gods and spiritual inanimate objects forbid. The pagans were not monotheistic. They were uh, plural. The- What's the term I'm looking for? Plural theistic. Basically, the pagans didn't believe in one God. Or one God in the guise of three gods. The pagans believed in several, many multiple gods. Men, women. They also believed that spirits or spiritual uh, whatever was in uh, tr- trees and uh, plants and rocks. And it turns out that the reason that people dress up as goblins and ghouls on Halloween is this. It's not devil worship. It's not. Uh, it's not. Whoa, I guess the belief was that on Halloween, Hollow's Eve, the, the membrane, the, 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 the separation between the living and the dead, the, the living world and the spiritual world would become very thin. And evil spirits could pass through this little, uh, you know, doorway into our world. And so to not be taken by them and killed or dragged into their world or whatever, to avoid the evil spirits, to protect yourself, my friend, not to worship the evil spirits, but to protect yourself from the evil spirits, you would disguise yourself as an evil spirit. So if you're dressed as a ghost or a clown, you know, a, a demonic clown thing or the devil or whatever, and one of these other demonic clown things or, you know, bat human zombie thing, whatever it is that they thought was going to pass through this door comes and then they see you and you're dressed as a ghost or a goblin where they're like, hey, dude, uh, any humans, anything, anywhere? And then you would say, yeah, they're over at the Harvest Festival. Go, go look over there. Or no, no one's here. We ate them all. Trick or treat, go back. And that's it. But it's not devil worship. I don't see how it's impinging on anyone's, you know, paranoid Christian beliefs. I really don't. Listen, if you're going to be a Christian, that's cool with me. Just why don't be paranoid about it? You really think that, the, the you know, the kids dressing up as witches on uh, October 31st is in any way impinging on your... No, it's not. <laughs> Do, listen. It doesn't really matter where it started any more than it really matters to most of Americans that Santa Claus was once St. Nicholas. It doesn't matter. There's a whole secular thing going. This is the United States. It's the 21st century. Halloween is just an event. Just like you got to kind of separate yourself from the idea that a holiday is a holy day. It's not. It's not. If it is for you, then, then go with it. Wallow in it, lay in it, relax in it, have fun, worship, enjoy your faith, do do your thing. But Halloween is really just about dressing up and acting stupid and getting candy and celebrating the end of summer and the beginning of winter, the transition, and enjoying the fact that the leaves are no longer green, that they're red and gold. But it doesn't need to be about devil worship or All Saints Day or anything like that. It's just Halloween. And yet it can still be about us getting together and touching base with each other, 
as the, the seasons change and as the weather changes. But, and I don't know if just some people are scared by Halloween because they're scared by Frankenstein and they're scared of ghosts. And it somehow threatens that their, their kind of delicate faith in their belief system or something. I, I really don't know what it is. People lose their mind. So here was the stock, maybe I've told you this before, here was the stock stand-up material, which was every year, and this is even separate, this isn't even really a religious thing, but every year um, a, a group of politically correct, overly correct activists would get together to to protest Frankenstein Halloween costumes because they th- they felt that the Frankenstein monster type Halloween costumes were demeaning to the handicapped. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Frankenstein's monster wasn't handicapped. Frankenstein's monster was dead. Frank- the Frankenstein, right, the Frankenstein monster was several dead people cut up and sewn together. If Frankenstein costumes are demeaning to any group, baby, it's transplant recipients. If you're going to protest, at least do you want to do the research? Open your right, get it right. But all over the, the country, and this has been going on now for 10 years, 15 years, school administrators banning Halloween costumes in school, changing the name of the Halloween festival to the Harvest Festival, Halloween car, not because, because they're worried about devil worship and Satanism and all this stuff. Listen, if I send my kid to school dressed as a witch or a nun or a ghost or whatever, it doesn't mean that I believe in devil worship. It, it's that I believe in bullshit Halloween costumes. That's it. We went to CVS or Target or Costco and we picked something out for 25 bucks and dressed her up. That, that's all it means. That doesn't mean that we worship the devil because she's dressed up as something other than what she normally dresses up as. So if I send my child to school in a Frankenstein Halloween costume, do not call me. Do not send him home. Business as usual. Okay. Until he's out on the football field drawing a pentagram on the 50-yard line with a can of gasoline, okay, then give me a call, right? Sacrificing virgins, pouring lamb's blood in the gymnasium, fine, speed dial. But until he's carving some sort of 666 into your forehead with the tip of a compass, shut up and leave me out of it. Trick or treat. supposed to do when um and this is just a little side note what are you supposed to do when your spouse or your your whatever is telling you something that you know again as if you don't know it as if you've never heard it now this see okay i am one of those people if i go for a walk all right. Just to illustrate, if I go for a walk, I don't go halfway and then turn around and go back. I like to go in a circle. I, I don't like to go back back the same way. I like to go around. And and I used to kind of pride myself when I was younger and I had the mental facility to be this way. I would pride myself that I w- would try very hard to never tell anyone the same thing twice. I don't know why I have a pet peeve about that, but I just do. And I would try very hard that if I had any shadow of a doubt that maybe I had told them this already, that I would at least acknowledge that I could be going over the same ground again. Please stop me if I've told you this one before. And I try to even do this on these recordings. Like just now, I was just like, I think I told you this before. I think I told you this. But I think two years ago, we were kind of mentioned this, right? I do that because there's just some weird thing. Like, I just don't want to assume that you've forgotten or that you're nuts or you're not paying attention or whatever it is. 
Now, I'm not saying that as I get into my later years, and it's not because I'm losing my mind. Really what it is is, you know, as you get older, your life gets more complicated and it gets a lot harder to keep track of who you've told what to whom and when and blah, 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 what extent. And blah, blah, blah. That's why I don't want to talk anymore. I just want to email and then if I don't know if I sent you the email, I can just look and there it is and did I send it to you? Yes, I didn't. Know. Who cares? But I do have, and I always have, made this kind of concerted effort to to never uh, just like tell someone something because I guess I've had a lot of people in my life tell me things like they've never told them to me before and I'm just sitting there like, you told me this three days ago. Is it that I'm invisible to you or you just tell this thing until you think of something else? Like, what is happening with you? No, the Mo guy's here. I knew it was coming. So this... Oh, this doesn't doesn't distract from you too much. But the guy's outside mowing the grass. Well, actually, he's not mowing the grass. What he is, he has an edger, and he's uh, essentially banging the spinning blade of the edger on the concrete of my driveway. That's really what he's doing. He's not actually mowing the lawn, or even really edging. He's just kind of letting the edger along the side of the concrete. So. Okay, so this happens with my wife. And I suppose probably my son too, because they're very talkative. That's what they do. See, I have a constant inner monologue, but it's inner. My inner monologue is inner. It's in my brain. Now, it's killing me, but that's where it is. It's in my brain. Now, maybe if it was outside my brain, I would say it. Maybe this is the cure of all my woes. If it was outside my, in, you know, in my brain and then out my mouth, then my ears would hear it. My ears would go, you said it and I heard it and that's enough. Move on. But I don't. So my inner monologue is inner. My wife and my son, their inner monologues are pretty outer. Outer, 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 talk, talk much more than me. And so... My wife and I were talking about this situation yesterday that, you know, I, I had a lot on my mind yesterday. I was very worried about a family member. We'll get to that in a second. I was very worried about it, this family member and I was very worried about something with the kids. And it's not that big a deal, but it just it was on my mind. It was just one of those things where yesterday was the day for it to be on my mind. It was on my mind. I was hoping things would go well for someone. And it was really on my mind. And, my, and so, so it was on my mind. Now, my wife and I both work here at the house. My wife, though, Melissa, works in our bedroom, which is a, a, a cul-de-sac. Okay? I work in our quote-unquote office, spare room, I don't know where, where all the kids and I do our homework or whatever. It's a thoroughfare. It's a common area. My wife works in our bedroom in a corner. She's cramped in there, and it's not, it's not good. I'm not saying it's good. It's bad. She should work where I work, but she works where she works, and that's a cul-de-sac. It's a dead end. There's no reason to go in there unless you're bothering her. And she's made it quite clear that when she's in there acting like she's working, she's working, and don't just come in and expect to just sit down and start to chat. She's in the middle of something. She's a very busy woman because she has a very big, important job with a big, important title and a big, important salary, and that's fine, and I understand, and I do not... I have any issues with that whatsoever. What I have issues with is the assumption that because I'm sitting in the thoroughfare that she can just heat up her broccoli whenever she wants for lunch and plop her ass behind me on the sofa futon thing and just assume that it's now time to talk. Because, see, I don't work in an office. So now she's probably actually more used to that. Maybe they used to do that when she worked back at the office. You just like come over and go, hey there, how's it going? Plop. And you just chat. And God knows when you get your work done because there's constantly people coming in your office. I don't do that. I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't do that. So it's this weird thing of just like, oh, I guess we're talking now. Even though I was sitting here kind of grimacing at the screen with headphones on watching sound waves go by. No, that's, yeah, we'll talk now. Okay, uh-huh. So yesterday we're talking, and we're talking about this situation, and she goes, well, you know, and I'll try to think of something else. So, like, when, when I was young, you know, I fell off my bike, and I really skinned up my knee, and my 
and I'm making this up, I fell off my bike and I really skinned my knee and I was really traumatized because the neighbors came out and they were laughing at me. And, you know, and I'm like, I know. Because you know what? She said it two days ago or two weeks ago, several times, because it's been coming up a lot. And, and, and it's a good example. It was a good example to tell the kids because of the situation that are like, and she's like, oh, well, you know, when I, and I fell off my bike and I skinned my knee and the neighbors came out and they were, they were laughing at me. And that was really upsetting. So she said this a hundred times in front of me and the kids. And now she's sitting there and I'm worried about this. And I'm worried about that. And I'm in the middle of the work and she's eating broccoli, which just stinks. And she's saying to me, as if we haven't known each other for 25 years. Well, you know, when I was in junior high, I was riding my bike and I fell and I skinned my knee and the neighbor, and I know. Why would you say that to me? What, you can't sit there and have me say that? You've got to say, I know, like that? Like this, that was a traumatic experience. I, I, <laughs> okay, there's nothing I can say right now. Because I am automatically the complete jackass for having said, I know. Even though, of course, I know. Because I, we've known each other for 25 years. Yes, I know that you fell off your bike and you skinned your knee and the neighbors came out and they laughed. I know. Can we talk about what we're talking about? This isn't about... You, I'm, I'm sure it was traumatic for you 30 years ago. I'm worried about this and that and my mother. I'm worried about my mother. I'm worrying about my mom. And you're telling me again about something, but, 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 it's, but it's not even that you're telling me. It's that you're telling me if she had said, well, you know, this is like when I... You know what I mean? Like, wow, this is like that time I told you when I fell and hurt my knee and the neighbors laughed. That I would have said, I know, baby, I know. It's, it's, a, it's so good that you told the kids that story. But that wasn't what she said. She said, well, you know, I got to tell you. Right? It was like that. It was like, you, you know, you don't know this. Baby, of course I know this. I know this 13 times I know this. But who? So, and a lot of times, hey, listen, I'm a guy. You know that. Guys don't listen. There's a lot of things that she says, again, because no inner monologue, all outer monologue. There are a lot of things that she says that, I, uh, you know, and so then my sanity and my attention paying gets called into question fairly regularly. Like, well, you really don't remember that happening? You don't remember me saying that? No, baby, I don't. Because you know, I got to tell you, I was three rooms away and you didn't really get my attention. And, I, and, I, and she will say to me, you know, I really worry about you sometimes. I really do. I really worry about, and I'm like, baby. I worry about you because you're telling me the bicycle story again without qualifying it with some sort of, well, you know, you know, it's like that time, right? It's like that time, like we're going over this again, I know, and I got to say it and it's no big deal, but as long as you say it as if you know that I've heard you say it. So what this becomes is one of those, what am I supposed to do in this situation situations? Like, what am I supposed to do? And really, obviously, right, because you're shouting at me now. Shut up. That's what you're supposed to do, Dan. You're supposed to shut up and just let her say it. And I think I've even done that before because I uh, because then there's this other thing. So here's so here's here's what you're proposing because this is what I propose to myself afterwards as I'm like folding laundry or doing dishes, wondering <laughs> where could you have gone maybe a little more right. So here's the scenario again. So she sits down. She's got broccoli and it stinks. And she's interrupting me and I'm trying to work while Sam is simultaneously worried about this my mom and this thing and she says well we're talking about the kids and we're talking about them and she says you know it's like this time when i was in junior high and i fell off my bike and i skinned my knee and the neighbors came out and they laughed and i gotta tell you that was really traumatic and then i say wow yeah i bet and then the conversation goes on and then in like and then like in a couple seconds isn't she gonna say wait didn't i tell you that before did i tell you that story before Mm -hmm. Well, why did you just sit there and let me tell you like I had never told you before? Why? Why? No, you make me feel like such a jerk because you know that I've told you that story and you're just sitting there with that blank look on your face like I've never said it before. And now I get to the end of the story and I realize that I told you that story 13 times.
So what's 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 the protocol, baby? What what's the protocol? Now listen, if you're listening to this and you're a woman in particular, tell me what is protocol in this situation? Do I just go? There's got to be some middle ground. It's got to be like you just agree with them. Like like, let me think about this. Okay, well, and I skin my knee. And then maybe, I know, I know. Because, oh, oh, maybe that's it. Maybe, because if you say I know, maybe she could assume that means either I agree, I agree, I see why you're telling me this because it's so similar to what we're talking about. But it could also mean I know, I know. You told me this already. I know, so I know. So then when she gets to the end, she realizes it was like, oh, I already told him. But he was saying, I know, I know. But he really meant I know, I know. Okay, well, okay, we're good. So th- is that it? Is that, can we just agree? right now that that is it that from now on whenever she or frankly anyone is talking to me i'm just gonna sit there go i know i know i know i know i know is that it i don't know Yeah, I've been worried about my mom. So, you know, in classic uh, class family parent style, and I love my parents. Listen, you 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 know that I don't talk about my parents a lot. And the reason that I don't talk about my parents a lot is because I have no major issues with my parents. They are wonderful. They are supportive. They, uh, I mean, they're, really, they're great. My, my parents, Big Dan and Isla, are great. And that's why I don't really bring them up much because there's really nothing to say. And also out of respect because they're my parents. I really don't say much about my parents. Right? What are you going to say? Uh, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy to talk about my parents. It's not, it's not cool. And I hope that someday, although it's impossible because my kids are my kids, they, they, they'll eventually talk a lot of crap about me and I, I just got to, you know, I better shape up now while <laughs> they're not noticing so much. So anyway... So my father, so my father though calls me. Listen, to me on. Uh, let me think about this Sunday. And he calls the house phone, and I can never find the house phone. And we always screen calls anyway, so I don't exactly sprint around the house looking for a house phone because it's only ever a sales call. Because we had just spoken to my mom. My my Melissa had spoken to my mom two days earlier on Friday to make arrangements for the kids to go down there next weekend. So. No expectation that it was my parents. Well, it was my dad. I didn't get to the phone in time, but it, w- it was my dad being very cryptic. And he's like, oh, this is dad. I'll try on your cell. And my dad never says that. My dad always says, hey, guys, it's me. And uh, blah, blah, blah. He's never, oh, it's dad. I'll call you on your cell. So your, you know, your heart clench, you know, it clenches. And I always go into this weird, like, like half shut down, half speed up, like adrenaline calm, but not, but whatever, like what's going on? I'm in the starting blocks. I don't know what's happening. What's happening. Something's happening. What has happened? So my dad says, listen, your mother is in the hospital. She's had this situation and I won't go into it because it's, you know, it's private and kind of disgusting and, and, and whatever, but your mother's very sick. And she's in an ICU. And uh, I brought her in last night. And uh, she's doing she's she's doing okay. She's stable. But it was pretty bad. And uh, yeah, so I, I thought you should know. But she's fine, and uh, we don't need anything. I'm like, okay, Dad. Well, okay. Well, um, and I'm you know I'm kind of in shock. Because it's just so out of the blue. Because my wife just talked to my mom. And listen, she's had, tri- you know, she, she hurt her foot. Or she hurt her this. She hurt her that. You know what I mean? There's a, you know, they're at that age where there's maybe always a little something. But, but nothing, may, you know, basically my mom is a little bit too up and at him. Isla cannot be stopped. So that's usually what's wrong with my mom is that she's been a little too up and at him and she gave herself carpal tunnel while she was painting the entire interior of her friend's home. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. 
Like she she was walking the dog for 13 miles on the beach or whatever, and she twisted her ankle. I don't know. That, that, that kind of, that's Isla stuff. So my mom, you know, who's, you know, still at her age, very guy, get up and go, little blonde spitfire for her to be down is shocking to all of us. But my dad said, you know, I'm feeding the dogs and the cats and I'm walking the dogs and uh, uh, I got it all under control. So I'll call you if I need. You know, my dad, well, he always wants to, you know, paint a good picture, get off the phone. Paint a good picture, get off the phone. He even kind of joked like, yeah, I got 13 other people I got to call. Uh. So I, uh, uh, I got to take that in. Like, <laughs> my mother's in an ICU. This is new to me. So I, I kind of sat there for a while, like, well, you know, dude, okay, you, you you fell into dad's trap of getting off the phone. So, you know, because he and I, do, I do that too. I do that too. I like want to, hey, pain, pain, hey, it's all happy. Right, bye, you know. So I call back. And of course, because of my dad's generation. Uh, see, my dad has a cell phone. But my dad does not leave his cell phone turned on. It's a generator. There's a generational line in the sand. My mother-in-law does the same thing. Where they cannot seem to accept the fact that the cell phone is meant to be on. And is actually rendered 85% useless when it's off. If you only turn it on to, to make a call, I mean, that's handy. But really the idea is that we can also get you. So my dad, uh, I call my dad. And I'm like, Dad, you know, listen, geez, I'm only an hour away. If you need anything, you need me to feed the cats, feed the dog, walk the dog, carry the dog up and down the stairs because the dog's got a bum leg. You need me to bring anything to the hospital, take anything from the hospital. You need me to call, right? Don't, okay, don't monkey around. Just call me and tell me, okay? Just please. Uh. Okay, you want me to call these 13 people? I'll do it. Whatever. So I leave them this message and I hang up. I'm like, of course, you, you sh- if you'd been bright enough. But they're not sure what's wrong with her and they're trying to help her and she's still not out of the woods. And blah, blah, blah. So she, he calls me back later and says that she is doing better. That lines have been crossed. Progress is being made, but they still don't know what's wrong or why it's wrong, why her white count is so high and blah, blah, blah. And it really gets me thinking that, and my my dad does tell me that my mom actually, he had taken her to the hospital Friday night. (sighs) He took her Friday night and they just gave her some pills and said, hey, listen, take these pills, you'll be fine. Or something. They gave her something. Or you'll take these pills and and you might have a little problem with your stomach, in which case you should come back. And she took them and she had a problem with them. She's back. But I guess my dad, you know, being my dad and being a trooper and being, you know, kind of protecting the kids all the time from this kind of thing, doesn't call, you know, because it's Halloween, I guess, and wait till the next day. But it starts me thinking that that's been my whole life. My whole life, my parents would kind of downplay all of this kind of stuff. I did not attend a funeral until I was, I think, 32. No funerals. Now, between the time I was born and the time I turned 32, I had lost an uncle. And I'm fairly sure, yeah, an uncle, four grandparents. And then kind of, you know, peripheral honorary uncles, great aunts, great uncle, right? People dropped like flies my whole life. I was not at a funeral until I was 32. My mother would go in when I was in high school. She had she had to be in the hospital for a couple of days. Oh, it's nothing. Oh, it's nothing. Oh, it's nothing. You find out later, you know, it was probably something. But you don't want to worry the kids. You don't want to worry the kids. You don't want to worry the kids. And maybe that was because my mom's brother died very young. 
at 32. And maybe I did tell her that I carried a fear until I was 33 that I would die like my uncle did before I was 32. Or maybe it's just that you don't want to see your kids cry at their loved one's funeral. I don't know. Because you don't want to traumatize anyone. And I think when my grandmother died, my mom's mother, we were living out of the country. So my mom, we were living in England. My mom flew back to the States to make the arrangements. She was the only living child. Like I say, my uncle had passed away already by that point. So we weren't there for that. But I was in high school. I was a senior in high school when her father died, my mother's father. My grandfather my mother's father was an a-hole. Of somewhat comical proportions. And, 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 you know, granted, again, because my parents, you know, my mother will tell me things, but they don't really, you know, it's not like she brings it up every day. So I don't know how much of it is, is me kind of, no, it's not me. It's really, okay, so I'll give you an example. My grandfather's name is, was Leo. Okay, my mother's actual biological father. My, my grandfather's name was Leo. And Leo, let's say it's Christmas. And they've got a tree and they've got all the gifts. Have I told you this before? There'd be all the gifts and Leo would pick up a gift and look at the tag and it would say, oh, it's for, it's for uh, Sissy, which is what they called my mother because my mother and my grandmother both were named Isla. So my mother became sissy. So he'd, he'd pick up a gift. It'd be a box, big, let's say a big wrap box, beautiful bow, a little card on there that says to sissy. And he'd say, oh, this is for sissy. And then he'd unwrap it. And hand her the contents. Now, I don't know, maybe in the 50s that made sense. The 40s, I, I don't think that ever made sense. That you'd be like, oh, sissy, Merry Christmas, here's your gift. Right? No. Not a good guy. Not a good guy. And I don't really, like I say, I don't know the details. I'm sure there are a lot of the details that I don't want to know generally not a good guy. The marriage did not last. Neither of my biological grandparents, uh, excuse me, excuse me. No, 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 no. <laughs> wow. No, that is okay. Neither of my biological grandfathers were really great guys in the dealing with their spouse department. I think the story goes that my dad's father would come home from drinking with a chick and ask my grandmother to make them eggs. I've never seen my mother as upset, or at least I don't remember seeing her as upset. It's just so vivid because I was older. As the day she learned that my grandfather Leo died. They had been estranged for most of my life. I mean, I saw him, but not really. I saw his son, my uncle, Dwayne, until he died, and Dwayne's kids, Dwayne's wives. But Leo was just kind of this mysterious other presence that we'd see occasionally, but not really. But slowly things started to warm. Now, my, my grandmother passed away in, uh, you know, around the bicentennial, around 76. And her husband, whom I loved dearly, Curly, my grandfather, 
my good grandfather on that side, you know. He died a couple of years later, probably of broken heart. But I was, I, I was doing a school project. And I, I don't know if I had to write it on Hiroshima. But some sort of World War, World War II thing. Or was it Vietnam? And my mother said, why don't you call your grandpa Leo? And that was back in the days when making a long-distance phone call was still kind of a big deal. The sound was horrible. You, you felt like you had to shout across the country. And that the wires were really just tubes that went from here to there. So the staticky, distant voice. And I could have this all wrong, but I remember him telling me about the day we dropped the bomb. My senior year, we went to visit Leo. Kind of had this reunion where my whole nuclear family, my parents and my sister and me, we went to California. And we stayed with Leo. And my cousins came, my uncle's kids. And their spouses, if they had spouses, we were all there at Leo's. And I remember lying on his sofa in his living room, listening to him talk to my mom. Making amends, or trying the best he could. It was such a different visit with him. It was so light and happy. My cousins were there. They're always they're much older than me, so they were always cool. You know what I mean? For some reason, I think that was early in my senior year of high school, maybe the winter. Then my mom got the call in the spring that he had died. That he'd driven his car off of a cliff or into a wall or something horrible had happened. And he was gone. And after all those years, all those years, all those years of estrangement, I remember my mother standing in our kitchen, the house we lived in when I was a teenager. Just bawling. Because now her mother was gone and her brother was gone, her stepfather was gone, and now her father was gone. And she just turned to me and my sister. And just blubbered. If anything ever happened to you kids, I just don't know what I would do. It was very shocking to walk into my mother's ICU. she looked so tiny almost like she wasn't really there almost like someone was playing some really sick joke on me where they had created this very sad emotionless mom puppet but just the head 
and had propped it into this bed. And they'd kind of rumpled the sheets just a little bit, so you maybe could sort of assume that there was maybe perhaps a person in there. But she had no energy. She was wrecked and just... She could barely speak. She had a tube down her nose and tubes in her arms. But we talked for a little while. I kissed her forehead a couple times. I told her about Halloween. And here's the woman that had been my world for so long. It was always a dynamo, always a dynamo. Even now, my mother is unstoppable. Brought to a stop. I was really scared. Because I couldn't deny the fact that I am now my mother's age. Maybe even a little older than she was when she stood there in our kitchen telling my sister and me that she wouldn't know what she'd do if something happened to us. So I stood there with my hands in the pockets of my noisy track jacket trying to be casual. Worrying about my mother. Realizing that time has passed. It does every day. Hoping that I hadn't disappointed her in any way. Hoping that... It had all been worth it for her. Because neither of us are going to be here forever. Well, she started to uh, nod off. She was very, uh, very heavily medicated for the pain. So she opened her eyes again. I said, well, Mama, listen. I don't want to keep you awake because if you're awake, you're going to be uncomfortable. So, you know. So she said, yeah, why don't you and your dad go get some food or something, get some to eat. I said, yeah, I'm going to run some errands with dad, too. we got to get the cat food, so. But I wasn't sure how to leave. I didn't, I didn't want to stay and make my dad uncomfortable. I didn't want to stay and keep her awake, but I didn't want to go. I didn't want to turn my back on my mother. You know, you don't do that. But I did turn to leave. I opened the door. My dad went through and then I was just about to step out and I turned to kind of give her a last, you know, like air kiss or something, you know. And she says, Daddy. Yeah, yeah, mama. The tag is sticking up out of the back of your jacket. Thanks, mom.
All right, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. I hope the I hope the mower guy didn't just ruin all of that. I don't think I have it in me to re-record it. My mom's fine. She's doing very well. I talked to her today. She's out of ICU. She's in a normal room. She's feeling quite well. They're running some tests uh, probably tomorrow. She assumes she'll be home by Friday. Please don't worry. She's doing well. She's uh, well cared for. My dad is there all the darn time. He's on the case. So, I love you, Mama. I do, I do. All right, so uh, thanks for listening. Thank you, as always, for supporting The Bitterest Pill. Uh, Once again, I'm sorry that, uh, you know, the mower guy had to be outside. I got to wrap my head around these stories and do them just, you know, when I do them. And then, you know, I should know better. I just couldn't do it yesterday. (laughs) It was too soon. So, I had to wait. I had to wait until she was feeling better, basically. (laughs) You know? All right. So listen, my friend, thank you once again. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Attention, attention. Hey, it's, uh, it's Dan Class. You know, do you ever sit around, uh, my somewhat loyal listener, and think to yourself... Gosh, I wonder what Dan really is talking about all those times that I'm not listening. You know, I object to Dan with this stupid premium thing, but I still am sort of curious. What is he talking about with these somewhat vague uh, blog posts relating to each show that I'm not listening to? Well, here's your big chance. To figure out what's really going on, to hear for yourself finally what you've been missing. As of uh, uh, very soon. Uh, there will be something available for for you for the holidays. Yes, it's the first year of the Bitterest Pill Premium. Available to you for a mere $20. Yes. I, you know, honestly, I, I gotta tell you something. I don't know how many hours it is. It's 45 action-packed... <laughs> not really. Episodes of the Bitterest Pill Premium. Including the free ones. I know, I'm not gonna sort it out. Listen, it's every single episode except a, uh, two. Except two kind of political ones. You don't need to hear that from me, do you? No, you want to hear stories about me letting stray dogs into Thai food restaurants, taking my daughter to the hospital, she's refusing medication, they can't believe she wants a shot instead of taking medicine. You want to hear about how I spent two hours on customer service, uh, phone, uh, hell, trying to get tech support for my 90-year-old neighbor. I think the woman on tech support literally was falling asleep during the call. You want to hear about the, the day that, that I met Spider-Man creator Stan Lee? And how he wouldn't sign my son's Spider-Man book. You do, right? Don't you want to hear about when I left my phone in a taxi cab in New York City? You don't want to hear about that? No? You really don't? Well, then forget it. You want? To, you don't want to hear about my identity theft? My Paxil taking? My... No? None of that. Okay, well then forget it. Now, if you do want to hear about it, then, then more, more information is going to follow very soon. But here's the problem. I, I have no name for this thing. This, this first year of premium pill coming to you at a reduced rate, I have no name for it. I don't know if it's like, I have no name. I have no creativity. I'm not a creative person. I've decided I give up. I'm too old and tired. I don't want to try to think of things anymore. So, well, here's the thing. I, didn't, I just thought of this right this second. If you come up with a name that I like and I end up using for the thing, I'll give it to you for free. All right, my friend. I don't know if it's a year of living bitterly. Maybe that's what it is. A year of living bitterly. I don't know. Listen, come up with some ideas, throw them at me. Whoever's thing I choose, they get a free, they get it for free. I'll just, you know, that's the way it goes. All right, the first year of the Bitter Spill Premium to you for $20 this holiday season. The Bitter Spill Premium, first year, available soon from Dan Class and the Bitter Spill. Name it now, get it free. Bye. The Bitter Spill is produced by Jacket Media. DeckitMedia.com, makers of fine podcasts since 2004. Kilroy 2.0 is here. Kilroy 2.0 is everywhere. (laughs) Kilroy 2.0 will be everywhere. And John and Dr. Mike and Father Thomas and the psychopathic John Alpha as the most popular podcast novel series in history gets a reboot. 
Seventh Son Descent is in print now. The Beta Clones are back with new scenes, new set pieces for the print novel. The President of the United States is dead, murdered by a four-year-old boy, and it's up to John and the other Beta Clones to hunt the man behind the assassination, John Alpha. To celebrate Seventh Son Descent's bookstore debut, author J.C. Hutchins, that's me, is releasing more clone-killing content at his website and beyond, an entirely new serialized podcast recording of Seventh Son Descent's print edition manuscript, serialized PDFs of the book, free music by John Smith, Seventh Son, Seven Days, a prequel anthology, and the full text of the novel, serialized at boingboing.net, all available now. Support the print debut of Seventh Son Descent. Learn more and download the free audiobook and other content at jchutchins.net and at patiobooks.com.